In this episode, I'm excited to learn from the founder of 8-Figure Focus, someone who has felt the frustration of working hard but feeling like you're just spinning your wheels. He is a graduate of Thomas Edison State University with a finishing grade of 4.0. In this episode, we'll be dissecting topics about creating capacity and humble honesty. Hello and welcome to Mirror Talk Podcast. Your moment of greatness starts now. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, doing well. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Mirror Talk. Um, can you tell me about yourself? Yeah. So I, like you mentioned, uh, I'm the founder of a, a firm called uh, Eight Figure Focus. And what we really do, our specialty is taking uh, founders and their businesses in that seven figure million to nine million territory and giving them the systems and processes that they need to go to the next level, to break that $10 million barrier and to actually enjoy the success. Because what tends to be holding them back isn't so much whether or not they have a great product or, um, or a lot of the external things that we point to. What tends to be holding them back is the way that they're relating to the business themselves. And so we we really focus in on them and their leadership team and help them to take what worked so well in the beginning stages of their business and actually use systems and processes to repeat that at scale. And it's a lot of fun. So can you tell me some of these um, you know, processes or some um, tools that you make use of? Yeah. So there's what we've found is there's three problems that f- successful founders face, right? So if you take the very early days of entrepreneurial, you know, just trial and error, uh, the folks who can get through that, there's this period, we call it fun. We call it the stage of business, just fun. And, and so what happens is businesses get there and it feels like you can't do anything wrong. You know, it it feels like, uh, you know, everything that you set your hand to just somehow works. And that's awesome because back in the, like the very beginning stages, nothing worked, you know, everything is just Mm. trial and error, like challenge after challenge after challenge, setback after setback. And so it's like, we've done it, you know, like we've gotten free of all of the the craziness of those early days. And now, you know, we're here and, uh, and things are good. But what happens is the business continues to grow and grow. And as it does, it gets more and more complex inside the organization. The the nature of leading a business with three people is very different than the nature of leading a business with 30 people, which is very different from leading a business with 300 people. And so as a leader, what happens is we get really good at playing the game in that fun stage. You know, we get really good at doing what it is we do. We get a few of the right people and and just everything seems to work. But then at some stage, it doesn't. And it creates these three problems for founders in particular. And... So those are the three things that we really focus in on. We have lots of different things uh, to walk people through that. And I've actually got a free course that, that walks people through all of them. And uh, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll let you listeners uh, know how to get to that uh, at the end of the show. But, but in short, you know, the, the thing that I really try to drive home is, okay, what are these three problems, right? So the first yeah. problem is they're still playing Django with their business. I've got my little Django back here. It's just a reminder uh, of what I do for, for folks. And yes. what's happening is, you know, as the business is growing, it's kind of like you're taking that piece out of the bottom and sticking it up on the top. Like that's how we grow. Mm. And that works because it's pretty easy to do. But then all of a sudden, a founder will find themselves, and if you've played Jenga, you know this feeling. There's no easy moves left. It's like you go and grab that one and all of a sudden the whole thing starts shaking and it's like, well, what in the world are we going to do? And in the business world, the exact same thing happens. Uh, In the business world, what tends to happen is we find ourselves in a place where something breaks, you know, something doesn't go the way that we planned, that there's a lot of this happening at this stage. And we go to pull from some resource, some person, some, you know, bank account, whatever it may be. And we go to try and, uh, you know, patch the hole and we realize there's nowhere left to pull. And so we start taking on more and more of the the pressure ourselves, the tasks ourselves. And what makes it so challenging 
because that's a miserable process. Like you end up working 80, 100, 120 hours uh, a week and, and, and it feels like you don't really have to show for it what you wish you did. But the challenge with it is that these folks are leading multi-million dollar businesses. From the world's perspective, they're this raging success. And when we look at social media, it's all like, yeah, everything's awesome. You know, we're growing. We got, you know, whatever on the Inc. 5000 list, like we're cool. And inside they're dying, but they can't say it, right? Because, you know, especially people who aren't entrepreneurs, who aren't founders, who haven't been there, or even if they are entrepreneurs and are still struggling, they're like, why are you whining? Like you've got everything, but the reality of it is they, they really are dying on the inside. And, and this actually happened, uh, a client of mine, it was a couple that, that had gone into business together. They'd started a, a marketing uh, firm and it had been just growing like crazy. So where most marketing firms are going out and they're finding one, two clients at a time, these guys did a deal and brought in somewhere around, I think, 150, maybe 200 clients in one deal. And they're like, yes, now what do we do? And so they just went after it. It was all hands on deck all the time. And they're they're trying to figure out like how are we going to make all this happen? And then one of their main leaders says, this is too much. And, and she backs out. And so this happens just before I meet them. And... They're like the only ones who can pick up the slack are are this couple who who'd started the business and they just had nothing left to give. And so as I was sitting in the meeting with John, he he was there. Um, his wife I didn't meet until a little bit later. But as I was sitting in this initial meeting, we were both in the same group together. He's talking about all the success that they're having and all the wonderful things. And and then I shared a little bit about what I do. And he's like. I need this. And he came up to me afterwards because we don't like to talk about this in the middle of a meeting, but he came up to me afterwards and said, if I don't find a solution, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Guys, a multi-million dollar business, right? Like has, Mm -hmm. has achieved really more than he had imagined in, in, in a marketing business in such a short period of time. And he was ready to walk away from all of it because he was still playing Jenga with the business. And so fortunately we were able to get together I met his wife. She was amazing. And uh, we sat down with the two of them and then two more leaders from their organization. And we just took an inventory of everything that was going on in the organization. What are the tasks that they were doing? What are the tasks that others were doing? And we find that I find this again and again and again is 40, 50, sometimes even 60 percent of what an organization is doing at this point because they've been growing so fast. They've accumulated all these activities that they don't need to do. And it's especially true for leaders. You know, leaders are the worst culprits because anything that anyone else can't do, they do. And so they had all of these tasks and and, and activities that had just piled up. And where all the stress was coming from was that they were looking at probably five or six different activities that they really needed to do, like genuinely important things, uh, things around their budget and their financial solvency for the remainder of the year, Um, things around next year's planning on how they're going to bring in another client because they took these big leaps of, you know, 100 clients at a time. But all these huge issues are just kind of sitting over them, but they can't get to it because they're so buried in the mind of the day-to-day stuff. And so after one session, we were able to just push almost all of that to the side. And and they were able to recognize, hey, when something needs to get done, I don't have to do it. I actually have a whole team of people who are trained to do it. And even if they aren't, all I need to do is train them and I'll be able to let go of that completely. And I will never, like never forget the look on their face by the end of that day. Because I mean, they were so stressed coming in. And when they were walking out, like just this look of relief, you know, it's like just the smile yeah. on John's face and, uh, and, and just the relief in, in Rachel's eyes were just, I'll never forget it. Um, and, and what had happened, nothing had changed, right? They still had everything that the business had to do, they had to do. But they realized that they meant the whole business, not just them. And they didn't have mm-hmm. to pull you know, on more little pieces from the Jenga stack. They could actually add more pieces. They could reorganize yeah. the ones that they had and actually build a stronger structure. It was awesome. Oh, that, that's amazing. That's a, that's a very great story, actually. Yeah. So, you know, um, for someone out there or for myself, for example, 
um, if I want to start a business like um, your friends, John and Richard did, um, how am I supposed to get myself ready or prepared for a successful business venture? How do I prepare myself, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, or in all ramifications for uh, a successful business or for, you know, for leaps like that, for um, quantum leaps like that, like your story? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that I wrestled with for a very long time. So before this, Mm -hmm. I uh, helped restart and relaunch a business called Start Church. And what we did was helped churches, nonprofits, and businesses all across the country get started. So I spent a lot of time watching a lot of organizations start, right? And what I can tell you, you know, we like to separate the business and nonprofit world. And there are elements that are different. But the reality of it is organizationally, functionally, they operate in very much the same way. And in seeing, you know, many of them start and quite honestly, many of them fail. I mean, as an entrepreneur, our chances of success are very, very low. Uh, But what it comes down to is, is a couple of things. One, it's recognizing where we are in our business life cycle. Because there's lots of great resources out there. You can go read Good to Great. You can read Built to Last. You can read anything by Patrick Lencioni. You can read all of the stuff, Yeah, Simon Sinek, all of this. But the reality of it is they're written to a very broad audience. And, and many times, most of their audience is not entrepreneurs on day one, right? They're writing to business owners, business leaders who are in more established organizations. And so what we try to do, it's similar to what kids do whenever they move out. You know, I heard a statistic that uh, that children, when they move out of their home and, and get married, at least here in the U.S., will tend to try to recreate their parents' uh, perception of wealth within five years. Now, their parents have done that over 25, 35, 45 years, but they try and get to that exact same place in their own house. That's why, especially here in the U.S., debt is crazy, uh, personal debt. Well, we do the same thing in business, right? We try to run big, a big business or a small business with a big business mentality, but it doesn't work. And it's the same way you can't run a big business with a small business mentality. There's a, an argument that could be made for merging the two. But what I've found to be massively helpful and, and what all of my consulting work is actually based on is something called the predictable success model. It was developed by a guy named Les McEwen, who's, um, who's a, a transplant from your side of the, uh, the pond to ours. But uh, amazing guy, mentor of mine, and a, a, I would even say a dear friend. But uh, he has identified that there are seven different stages that a business goes through from, from start to finish. They start out in a stage called early struggle. Right. And it is. It's an early struggle. It's that existential fight for survival. And I'm going to answer your question specifically about early struggle here in just a minute. But uh, then the next stage is fun. That's that stage I was telling you about earlier. That's fun. That feels like he can't do anything wrong. You know, the organization's Mm -hmm. growing really quickly. A lot of people call that scale. I have a slightly different view on that. But suffice it to say, it's a very rapid growth time in the, the business. The third stage is another uncomfortable stage called whitewater. And whitewater is where that that success starts to catch up with us. And we actually have to adapt to new rules in the game to really create what we call in the fourth stage predictable success. Now, it goes on to to identify a few different stages on the decline side. Uh, There's treadmill. Mm -hmm. The organization gets a little too processed. They start to lose that entrepreneurial edge. They start to get a little slow, a little arthritic even. And then they fall into the, the penultimate stage, which we call the big rut. And the big rut, everything feels good, actually, especially for leadership. They finally feel like we've solved the problem and they're more efficient. Many of them are more profitable than ever. But the truth is that they've lost the ability to fail. And so they've lost the ability to invent. And that's why you see giant names from, you know, 50 years ago. If you look at the Inc. 500 list from 50 years ago, less than 10 percent are still on that list today. Because they've fallen trapped to that big rut mentality. And then the final stage, the only place to go from big rut is is into death rattle, where there's a little bit of spark at the end, but it's just not enough to save the organization. And that's and the full life cycle of a business. Now, what's important, and, and regardless of whether you're a business owner or, or, or not, what we can pull from that, the truth is to recognize the season that we're in 
and pick the strategies that are right for that season, right? We have to recognize I'm in this stage of life, this stage of my relationship, this stage of my business, whatever stage we're in, we have to recognize the when so that we can respond accordingly with the correct what. Yeah, yes. So if you're in early struggle, what's the what? If you want to start a business, someone listening to this podcast is saying, I'm ready to, to start a business, what? Well, you have to recognize you're going to go into early struggle. You don't get to skip a stage. You know, it's going to be that that fight. Now, what is the struggle for? The struggle is to find a profitable, sustainable market. Right? It really just boils down to that. There's a lot that goes into that. But at the end of the day, the businesses that succeed do so because they stayed focused on that one thing. They weren't focused on, you know, do I have cool, you know, uh, podcast equipment since we're on a podcast or do I have, um, you know, the, the right, uh, Herman Miller chair, or do I have, you know, this great computer or whatever it may be, you know, have, have I had coffee with someone that I think is really cool. And if that doesn't lead you toward a profitable, sustainable market, then, then it's not moving you toward a viable business. So that's the the first thing that I'd recommend is that if you're going to start a business, know that it's going to be difficult. Uh, it's It can be worth it, but it's going to be difficult. And if you're willing to take that difficulty head on, then the second thing is to stay massively focused on finding that profitable, sustainable market. Uh, it's not about having the perfect product. It's about being able to sell what you have. Hmm. And how do you how do you successfully you know find that market that's for you? How do you successfully you know um, you know build a community, for example, or look for the people that are suitable for your product? How do you do that in the early yeah. stage? There are a handful of folks who do this exceptionally well. So there's a system called the Story Brand Framework by Donald Miller, which helps you to. Uh, identify the story, your story, and the story of your customers, and actually use that as a marketing framework to speak very specifically to the problem that you help them solve. It's fantastic. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate it. There's an, uh, another, um, I've just completely forgotten his name, but there's another guy named um, uh, Matthew Pollard. And Matthew uh, does an exceptional job at helping people to recognize what it is that they want, why they started the business in the first place, and what value that brings to their market. He does an exceptional job at at coaching people through that. And uh, I'll have to take a pass on the third one because it just completely – Michael Port. uh, Michael Port does a great job at this as well. So those three folks, what they do is they they take away the external reality of – of what's going on because most of the time there's a market for most things we live in a really really big world and we have massive amounts of access to that world i mean you can at start church we had a 10 million dollar business selling paperwork to churches right like and if we can do that then then you can do just about anything so it's not so much about finding the perfect product although that's really important it's about finding your spot uh, in the world, really, and and then learning how to communicate that effectively to others. And those three, those three uh, gentlemen, and the systems that they've created are are incredible at helping folks do that. Wow, that's good. That means for you to you to come out successfully out of the um, early struggle stage or phase, one has to really be focused and find the right market. Don't focus on the beauty of the old process or you know, the kind of laptop or the kind of equipment you yes. have, but reaching out to your, your, your customers, actually. That's right. Yeah. It, and it's, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't look glamorous. We have this idea of entrepreneurship and, and, uh, and starting your own business as this really beautiful thing. And it is, mm-hmm. but it's beauty hidden in a lot of hard work. Uh, and, and we don't always talk about that. The other question that I encourage folks to ask in addition to when, right? So when is really, okay, what stage are we in? What do we need to work on now? But the other question we need to ask is who do we need to help us get there? And so one of the things that Les has discovered in, in identifying each of those seven stages is that there are leadership styles. There's four different leadership styles that lend themselves to the different stages along the way. And so 
for someone who's starting out, you know, you, you don't need to know about all of them. There's really two of them. Most entrepreneurs will have a visionary style. You know, that, that's just the way that they're wired. You know, they're, they're dreamers. They're, they love being at 30,000 feet. They've got a thousand ideas for anyone else's one idea. Uh, they have a very high squirrel factor, right? They, they have shiny blue ball <laughs> syndrome. They're just always chasing after, you know, something. And, um, and so those visionaries, they're great at coming up with new ideas. They have more resilience than most other types uh, of leadership styles. However, they're not the strongest at getting stuff done, not consistently on a day in and day out basis. And so what you'll find in, in almost every single entrepreneurial success story, they won't always talk about it. But if you really look at the story, two things happen. One, they focused on that, that sustainable market, right? But the second one mm-hmm. is that they, they found an operator to help them get to that profitable, sustainable market. And so the question that I encourage folks to ask is, who do you need to help you get where you want to go? Because there are people out there whose strengths align perfectly with your weaknesses. There are people out there who that task that you're dreading doing at three o'clock this afternoon, you know, and you've been putting off all day. There are people in the world who love doing that task and would do it all day, every day, and it would fill their tank to do it. And as entrepreneurs, we like to think that it's this like lone wolf kind of, uh, you know, cowboy mentality. That's not how it works. You go back and actually look at the success stories that we all celebrate as these brilliant visionaries, and I guarantee you somewhere along the way, there is a brilliant operator who quietly but resolutely made things happen every step of the way. And, and so for us, what it really comes down to is, are you, are you really able to do this alone? Is that really what you want? And in most cases, that's not going to work. Well, how do you find the right people to work with like do you go on online platforms to look for you know or to get some resources or how do you meet with the right people that you can actually work with um to build a successful business yeah so there's lots of different ways of going with that Uh, where i tend to to focus most of my work is around that style Right. Because what tends to happen is a, a visionary will say like, hey, I'm not a great detail person. You know, like I, I need someone to come and help me, you know, just keep up and, and make sense of my world. Well, there's two there's actually two types of detail per- people and they look very different. So one type is those operators that I was telling you about before They're and, and they're kind of the maverick. Uh, they're kind of the, the MacGyver even of the business world. You know, it's like, hey, we need to get out of here. Uh, and, and somehow with a, a paperclip and a piece of gum, they make an airplane. You know, it's, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. You know, it's just it's amazing. My favorite, uh, my favorite kind of operator sequence is the the um, scene in Apollo thirteen, where they're like, "We need to get this square thing into this round hole, and we have these parts." You give that to an operator, and it's done, right? You give that to a visionary, and they're going to be like, "Let's build this new spaceship," and they're like, "No, but we actually already have a spaceship with guys on it. We're trying to get them back home, you know." So, uh, and operators do that really well. Well, but there's another type that would really struggle with that project as well, but they're very detail-oriented, and we call them processors. Now, processors, they think in terms of system and process. They, they, they tend to move very slowly because they're thinking in such excruciating detail about everything that they do. You can tell a processor is a processor because not only do they have a schedule for their week, they actually print it out, put it on their desk, and then scratch a line through each of their meetings as they're held. You know? and, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and in many ways, they are the opposite of a visionary. Uh, in many ways, they... Uh, are who the visionary thinks that they need in those early days because they're the opposite of me, right? But that's that's actually not the case. And and so what a lot of visionaries will do is they'll find someone to to kind of come alongside them, but they will be a processor style leader. Uh, it'll be someone from a big consulting firm like McKinsey. It'll be someone who's got a, a bunch of financial know how. It'll be an executive from a bigger organization. 
But processors don't do well in early struggle as a, a general rule. There's exceptions to all of this. But if you get someone who's a really strong processor, not only will they not help move you out of early struggle, they may keep you there even longer. Not because they're bad, not because they're mean. It's just because it's the wrong style fit for what you're going after. Now, if you flash forward a couple of stages to Whitewater and the, the processor is exactly who you need, the problem is you've had all of your success up to that point without a processor and you're like, oh, we don't need them. And, and it actually takes business owners quite a while to recognize their need for a processor as a leader in their, their larger organization. But that's going back to your question of uh, how do you know if you have the right person uh, from a, a style standpoint, you really want to make sure that they're operators. Now, there's a fourth style, which is synergists. And, and those are the folks who they love to have coffee with everybody. Uh, I, I like to joke because synergists in business can fire somebody and they'll come back the next day because they think they had a great conversation. You know, they they, they just love people so much. Um, and yeah. in a team, they're great because they, they're that relational glue that holds everything together. But in the early days of a business, you ask a, a synergist to go and, and you know, drive sales and marketing, they're going to have coffee with everybody and their brother. They're going to have a lot of friends by the end of it, but you may not have any sales. And so we'll, we'll tend to see these people who are highly relational and say, I need that guy to connect me with all these people. And to a degree, that's true. And sometimes you'll have synergists that have a good blend with that operator style and it's helpful. But just because they have those connections doesn't mean that they can monetize them. In fact, many people who have the strongest connections don't monetize them. That's why they have all those connections. And that's a great skill to have, but it's not going to move your business forward, right? Mm. So yes. that, that's really the first thing is do they have an operator style? If they don't, I'd be highly skeptical of whether or not they're a fit. Now, with, and there's actually a free quiz that you can do this. Um, if folks get the course that we, we've talked, there's a, a link to it in there. And so I'd, I'd recommend everyone go and, and grab that. Uh, and, and they'll get the quiz and they can give it to whoever they want. And so they can you know, test new people coming in and see if they have that operator style. They can find their own style yes. as well. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Second thing is you have to like them. I don't care how great they are at whatever skill they bring to the table. If you don't like them, that's not going to work. And that's not necessarily socially, you know, the right thing to say. We want to like everybody. We want to be inclusive. We want to be all those things. I'm, I'm all for all yeah. of that. <clears throat> but especially in a new business, you have to have chemistry. And visionaries and operators often do have chemistry, but we can't take that for granted. So just because they're an operator doesn't mean I like them. And, and so the second thing to really look for is, is this person somebody that you, that you like? And if you get those two things, there are, yes, there are things that can go wrong. But those two things, an operator who's a strong operator who loves to get stuff done and who is someone that you like and that likes you, that's going to cover a multitude of inadequacies in, in all, all kinds of other areas. And, and that yes. tends to be the magic recipe for organizations to get through that early stage to create and build a successful business. So I have to look for an operator and I have to look for someone I like. Yes. That I'm compatible with. I have chemistry with. That's right. Yeah. So now I, I, have, I have an operator and I like the operator and we won't start this business. But, you know, I just have visions and goals. How do I set out, you know, a very effective and working um, long-term goal or short-term goal? How yeah. do I work out my plan properly yeah. to, set a, to have a successful business? What visionaries do better than any other type, and again, most entrepreneurs have at least a, a lot of visionary in them, even if it's not their primary. What they do better than anybody is look to the future and recognize the why behind what, what happens. Right. Most visionaries, most entrepreneurs don't start a new business to make a ton of money. They start a new business, one for freedom and autonomy, but because they feel like something is wrong in the world or something could be better. And so it's, it's really helpful for visionaries to uh, recognize that not everybody thinks that way. So uh, your operator friend is very day to day, like they're thinking, what do I have to get done next? And so as a visionary, it's really helpful to cast that compelling long term vision of saying, hey, here's where we're going. Uh, my favorite, favorite uh, example of you know, how to cast vision and what to do is The Just Cause by Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's in his book, Infinite Game. If you've not read it, it's my, my favorite recent book, at least. And he talks about a just cause and how your business needs to stand for something. 
And it's not standing against something. It's standing for something. It's not about who we're excluding. It's about who we're including. It's not about a milestone that we're trying to accomplish. It's about a direction that we're trying to go. And when you look mm-hmm. at, you know, the, he, he cites the Constitution or even the Declaration of Independence, you know, that all men are uh, created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's not a goal, but it is a vision. And an entire country was, was birthed in that. And, and uh, that's really what you're looking for as as a vision in whatever size business that you're in is make sure you have that that lofty ambition that you can direct to because what will happen is employees will align to that your customers will align to that and when it gets really hard it's that vision that's going to keep you going it's that vision that keeps entrepreneurs through all of the setbacks because there will be many your chances are there will be many but it's that vision that keeps them going day in and day out. And so, yeah, I encourage, take a moment to write it down. Um, there's a, a, the, the book, uh, I think it's Built to Last by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. He talks about uh, uh, several examples of how these executives, even when they were losing phenomenal amounts of money, stopped to say, why are we doing this? And if you address that why question first, the rest follow. I think that's that's what it all boils down to, right? Um, knowing the why, the reason why you are, yeah, <laughs> you're in that business, yeah, and why you want to achieve that goal. Of There's yours. been a handful yeah. of start uh, of studies, and, and even one or two, I believe, by Harvard, and they've looked at the role of passion versus purpose in motivating people to to accomplish. And what they find time and time again is we say, follow your passion, do what you love. But what we really should say is follow your purpose, do what it is that you're made to do. And when we do that, the passion will come because passion comes and goes. It's, it's very emotional that we'll, you know, I have a good day. I've got lots of passion for my business. I have a bad day and I have, don't have lots of passion for my business. But my <laughs> yeah. purpose is, is it's not static, it's dynamic, but it's always there. And so I think for anybody, this is, you know, one of those life lessons for, for businesses, but also for, for people is, Really go after your purpose, not just your passions. That means to go after your purpose, you have to first find your purpose, yeah. right? Like make sure you find your purpose, know what your purpose is, then yeah, go after yeah. it. Yeah. Nice. So I love to play soccer. I'm passionate about soccer, but you would suck all the joy out of it if I had to do it for a living, right? And so some well-meaning person along the way is like, you should go to school, play soccer and do all of this. But that would have been really, really bad advice for me to follow because it actually would have taken away the passion that I have for it. Now, my purpose is to help business owners to enjoy the success of all of their hard work and to help them create great organizations that people love to go to. Now, that's something that I can stay fired up on and you can pay me to do that, you know, because that's going to keep me going day in and day out. And like I said, my, you know, honestly, my passion does ebb and flow with that because my moods change, right? That's, that's just the, there's a little bit of that roller coaster that we all go through. But that purpose yes. has gotten me through, even in the short time that I've started this new business, has kept me on that path in a way that if I was simply follow, following a passion, I would never have been able to sustain. Yes, yes, excellent. So now to combine two things you said earlier, um, you made mention of purpose right now, and then earlier you made mention of this um, predictable success model. So how can I combine both of them to ensure that my business continues to grow even in a time of crisis, like, you know, having in a pandemic, for example, or a business crisis or economic crisis? How do I combine my purpose with this um, predictable success model to ensure that my business continues to grow. Yeah. So I actually did a series. We talked about when before, right? And I, I tried yes. to come up with a great, like, here's how you respond to COVID. But then I realized, no, it actually depends on where you are, where your business is right now as a result of COVID. And so I tried to get away with one easy answer for everybody, but recognized pretty quickly that there was actually a different answer. And in many cases, an opposite answer based on where a business was in the life cycle. So on eightfigurefocus.com, if you search for COVID, you'll find there are six different articles that I wrote in there about how to do it. Now, if you're a, a new business owner, 
uh, it, it, there tends to be a rise in the number of new businesses created uh, in the midst of an economic crisis because a lot of people have lost their job. Unfortunately, there's a corresponding rise in the number of business failures and the percentage of business failures because you have a lot of people who, who it's not their choice to create a new business. It, it's a necessity for them. And so where you'll see, and people are all over the map, you know, anything from 60 to 90% of new businesses fail, well, that number will jump up to like 80 to 95 to plus will fail of businesses that are started in an economically difficult time. And that's for a handful of reasons. One, you have people who aren't visionaries who can't find operators. We've talked about that before. The other part of it is it's just very difficult. You know, when, when there's not a lot of money moving around, uh, it, it's very, very challenging to get access to that. When it's easy, you know, when money's flowing freely, it is a lot easier to start a business. But yeah. the silver lining is some of today's biggest new businesses, uh, there's Slack and I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of the others that, um, that had started around that same time. But if you go back to the 2008 crisis, financial crisis, there are a number of massive, you know, billion dollar businesses now that were started in the wake of the 2008 crisis. And so what that tells us is if you can get your business off the ground in the midst of a crisis, if you have the, the guts and the, the ability to hang in there and pull it through, there's actually a very high likelihood that you'll succeed in later stages of the business because you know how to do hard things. As an organization, you have the internal foundation, the internal belief system that we know how to overcome. And so you see, and this goes back over every crisis over the last 50 to almost 100 years now, some of the most well-known, reputable brands out there were birthed in these economically difficult times. So it's, it's very challenging. To be quite honest, I recommend that people don't. Uh, start businesses now uh, in, in, unless their passion and their purpose drives them to do it. Like if you can't not start a business, then I will give everything I can to helping you succeed. If you can not start your business now, it's probably a good idea because it's a very challenging time to do it. But if you do it yes. and you get through, the rewards are pretty staggering. That sounds promising actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wait, now I'm, I'm at the crossroad, right? Um, I have to make a decision either to continue with the business or um, stop the business. What are the factors I'm supposed to um, you know, consider while making my decision? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. To an extent, if you can. Uh, so here's, here's my best advice. Give yourself another valid option. If you give yourself another valid option, there are lots of jobs out there today. And, and if you can give yourself another valid option to, to move to, then you now have a choice. And if you have a choice, you are king of the world, right? Where we get right. ourselves stuck is when we try to keep a business afloat because it's our only option. And if you're trying to keep a business afloat because it's your only option, your chances of failing are, are significant. And so if someone's in that struggle, like, I don't know, kind of phase, then what I tell them is give yourself another valid alternative. Uh, go work for another company that's very entrepreneurial. Uh, go find another job that would be very safe. Partner with somebody. And once you have that valid option, you will get a much, much clearer picture of whether or not you should keep going with your business. You know, I, I found so much clarity in finding something else that, that was awesome and saying no to it because I, I, at that point, I really knew that I needed to start this business, right? And so the, the yes. absolute best thing you can do is to give yourself another valid option. Mm. So you, you won't say, okay, persevere, just keep on pushing, keep on pumping <laughs> energy. That's what we like to say, but... You yeah. know, in in good faith and in, in genuine um, honesty, no. You know, mm -hmm. the vast majority of new businesses fail. And so if the vast majority of them fail and we tell them all to persevere, we're delaying the inevitable and extending their pain. 
And, and that's that's not a fun thing to say. I mean, it breaks my heart. I wish that 90% of new businesses succeeded. I really, really do. And I'm doing everything that I can to help them and push that number up as much as I can. But the reality of it is it's not for everybody. It's not for every new product idea. You know, lots of people say you're one idea away from a billion dollars, but that's bogus. You know, you're you're one idea and a lifetime of hard work away from a billion dollars. And for those who love that, awesome. For those who don't, there are other much more fulfilling things that you can be doing. And so if, if someone's listening to this and I can save them the heartache of persevering in an area that they really genuinely shouldn't, that would be a massive win for me. If someone's sitting there listening to this and they hear it and they say, yeah, I hear you, Scott, but I'm going after it anyway, then I still feel like I've helped, right? Because they know what they're going up against and they've got that internal resolve to do it. So I feel like a lot of times we don't give ourselves that option, right? It's the only option is to persevere. That's true half of the time. You know, like the, the other half of the time is you don't have to persevere, you can do what you love in a job. You can do what you love in another business. You can do what you love in so many different ways. You can go after your purpose in so many different ways. You can start this business, but maybe it's five years from now. We're not taking anything off of the table. We're just saying, is this the right thing for you right now? And in many cases, in fact, the majority of cases, it's not. Well, in, in any case, um, I'm, I'm going to place your link um, in the show notes of this episode. Yeah. So anyone who wants to get across to you, could just get across to you to you know, get some consultancy or some yeah. you know, coaching, either stopping the business or continuing the business. That's right. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. and folks don't have to pay anything. You know, I, I've actually got a, my ambition is to outgive the market. You know, I want to give more than I ever get back from it. And so one of the things that I've done is I've put together a free course that comes with an accompanying ebook that will walk people through. And, and this is really geared toward those those kind of seven-figure businesses that are, are dealing with the challenges of success, but there's so much to learn in there. just from a principle standpoint for everybody. But I took all of that, all the work that I do, that clients pay me tens of thousands of dollars to do with them and their team, I've put all of that for free in a course that people can access 100% for free. So folks can go to uh, capacityarchitect.com slash book and they'll find it there. Yes, that will also be placed in the show notes then you could just click on it and go there. Yes. So I, I'm a client of yours now and I have a team. Okay, let's, I'm assuming I have a very successful business and I need a lot of people to work for me. Um, how do I cultivate like a good or the best um, working atmosphere for my team? Yeah. And what kind of culture should I have you know, yeah. to ensure that everything works properly yeah. well? Yeah, so there's there's several stages to this, and we spend a lot of time on it in the course. So I don't want to overwhelm people with data overload in, in a podcast. It's not fair to them. But one of the things that um, that I found, I was working with a, um, it was actually a nonprofit. They were working on multiple different continents, had grown really fast, and they were frustrated. As a leadership team, they were working really, really hard, but there was a disconnect between the leadership team and everybody else. And nobody like the 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 rest of the company it wasn't that they that they didn't want to work or that they weren't committed to the organization it's just that the organization had gotten so big that the founder didn't have direct access to everybody so many founders when you're starting an organization you thrive by just being the vision and once an organization gets big enough once you start having 20 30 maybe you know 50 people in an organization you stop having direct contact with everybody regularly and when that happens what you need to do is you need to actually start to structure the culture of the organization so what happened naturally before we actually need to do in a, a semi structured way moving forward and and so there's lots of ways to do that but basically one of the things that i recommend for folks is to put together what i call a decision making playbook and that's exactly what jeff did with his team so kind of you know to tell the story just very very briefly I started working with them and they were maxed out, like 100%, 110%, like people's blood pressures through the roof, people are burning out. It's, it's just an uncomfortable time to be a leader in the business. Meanwhile, a bunch of their employees are actually kind of bored because they, they're confused about what's going on. They don't know what to do and they're just wondering, where is this organization going? 
And so it's like, how can those two things exist in one organization? And, and it was just because they hadn't communicated uh, where the organization was going and how to make decisions at every level of the organization. And so what we did, we sat down together and we created this decision-making playbook that walked every single employee through why do we exist as an organization? What difference do we make? Where are we going? Um, what are our strategies as an organization? What are our goals as an organization? What tactics do we need to use that are better than other tactics? Because we can do all kinds of activities, but that doesn't mean that they're going to take us toward our mission and culture as an organization. And so yeah. what we did is we actually went through a process of identifying what those things were, what was their mission, their vision, their values. And in doing so, we created this playbook that they then distributed to all of their staff. Fast forward a couple of years, they merge with another organization and triple in size. And I hear about them like, oh boy, you know, like how, how's this going to work? Like they will, you know, yeah. last time they, they, they weren't like maxed anymore because they had started making progress, but I had, I had done my work and I hadn't spoken with them for a while. And so I, uh, I ended up having an opportunity to talk to the, the, the founder who's the director. And I said, how's it going? He's like, it's great. I was like, wait, wait a second. Like, surely, you know, surely you, know, you, you tripled in size. He's like, no, no, it's actually great. Like there was so much clarity in the organization and they knew so well how to continue to kind of distribute and contribute clarity throughout the organization that everybody jumped on and was moving in the same direction almost automatically. And so when it comes to culture, it's really about, especially as the organization grows, it's about finding ways of structuring and repeating that culture again and again and again and again until it becomes second nature in the organization. Yeah. Wow. That, that's good. That's, that's a very good tip, actually. Yeah. But um, you talked, I, I was checking your Instagram um, a while back and you talked about, you know, um, humble honesty. Yeah. So what are the importance of, you know, of leading a team with humble honesty? Yeah. In working with leaders, I tend to find uh, two types. And the, the first type is, is probably more what we expect to see of leaders. Honestly, you see it more in the business space than in the nonprofit space. But they excel at honesty, right? You, you always know exactly where you are with them because they'll tell the truth to anybody. And, and yeah. uh, you know, so they're, they're so honest. But what I find in a lot of their organizations is the lack of what we would call a challenge function. People are afraid to say no. And these leaders get themselves in a lot of trouble, both professionally and personally, because they don't have people in their lives saying no, because they're missing the humility side of the, the equation. Now, on the other side, we have some leaders who are, you know, they're very much the servant leader and, and they, they just ace it at humility. It's those folks that, you know, you can take anything that you need to them and they're going to be there for you. You know, it's those folks that, that we know have our back come hell or high water. Well, what that type of person can tend to struggle with is, is giving the last 10% of, of being totally honest with someone when something needs to change. And what I've found in leading my own organizations and in working with so many leaders over the year is that the culture of the kingdom, the culture of the business emanates from the culture, the character of the king. You know, it, it, it comes from whoever is leading the organization. So if you as a leader don't give the last 10 percent, you're going to create a culture where we all smile and nod, you know, and then we all leave the room and do something else because we're not being honest about what's going on. Now, in the same token, yeah. if you as the, the CEO, the director, the most senior executive, whatever title it is, if you uh, are, are, you know, blindingly honest, but you don't have the humility to say, I may not have the full picture, then you're going to create a culture where your leaders are going to do the exact same thing. They're going to smile and nod at you, and then they're going to go to their people, and they're going to say, I know everything. And so as an organization and as individuals, we actually have to hang on to both of those tensions. We have to hang on to humility. We have to hang on to honesty, and we just have to wrestle with both of them all the time. Because if you let go of one, you lose the truth. That's really what it comes yes. down to. 
Wow. So we, do, we, we let go. We can't let go of um, being humble and being honest. They have to go hand in hand. Yep. And that's why I said humble yeah. honesty really is what we're going after because it, it's both. And and that looks different to different people. It looks different in different societies and cultures. And, and that's okay. But what we're all going after and what we all need to hang on to is the fact that we need both. Yes. So um, with your years of experiences um, in consulting and, you know, dealing with leaders, are there like some, you know, exercises, maybe some mental exercises that you advise them to, you know, um, practice to ensure that they are, you know, LD and they stay fit, you know, with all the, you know, um, demanding challenges of, you know, day-to-day business? Are there stuff like that to do? Or? Yeah. So I'll leave the, the specifics to the professionals. I think we all find things that work for us. What I recommend that mm. folks do is recognize that uh, they have to be all right to lead an organization that's all right for a long period of time. And a lot of us, we excel at, uh, at business, but our finances are a mess. We excel at business, but our relationships are a mess. That stress doesn't go away. We like to think it does, especially as guys. We're like, oh, we can compartmentalize, and you know, business is business. And 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 you're sitting in a meeting, and you're looking like this, and and you guys are talking about the color of the cups at the Christmas party, and everyone's looking like, why is Jeff like this? You know, but no one's going to say anything because you're the leader. And so, yeah. what we have to recognize is that we have to take care of ourselves if we're going to lead healthy cultures for an extended period of time. There's lots of resources on that. I think you know that way better than I do. And and you've had some guests on that are are excellent at that. What I encourage people to to recognize is that they are not a compartmentalized being. They are one person who has one schedule, who's living one life. And if you treat it that way, you'll give yourself a much greater chance of success. Mm, Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's very good. So, um, one thing I found on, on your Instagram page again, I'm going to post the um, link in the show notes also so that people could be inspired by your Insta- Instagram post also. You talked about, you know, aligning what you know with what you can do. Yeah. So can you, can you walk me through this? How can I align um, what I know with what I can do or what I can do with what I know? Yeah. Uh, so there's, uh, there's this issue and um, it's called Jahari's window. And, and basically there are, there are four different things. There's what you know you know. There's what you don't know you don't know. There's what you know you don't know, and there's what you don't know you know. And, and you know, if you look up Johar, J-O-H-A-R-I, I believe is how you spell it, but you can see all of that in there. Now, where we get in trouble is where we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I've found it identifying what we don't know, we don't know, is to surround ourselves with people who can tell us that. It goes back to the whole conversation we had about humble honesty, right? I have to be confident yes. and, and honest in what I know I know, but I have to be mm-hmm. humble enough to recognize that is only a very, very small piece of the puzzle, a, a very, very mm-hmm. small fraction of the pie. And if I recognize that I don't know and, and probably will never know way more than I do know, it allows us to really recognize where we have our blind spots. And, and in that conversation, that's where we can find, okay, based on that, what do we, what do we do? And the best way to do that organizationally is as a team. Because we like to try and sort all of that ourselves out as leaders and then come and have yeah. it all together. But the truth is, Mm -hmm. your team is there. They love you. They're supporting you. They want you to succeed. They're ready to help. So don't isolate them from all the problems because you're not actually isolating them from the problems. You're just limiting Mm -hmm. them from being able to help you solve them. Yeah, yeah. So if 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 I'm if I'm right, please um, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Um. So it means that I should be able to I should be ready to admit that I don't know about something to my team, for example. And also, I should be um, ready to be vulnerable to my with my team. Tell them I don't know about this. Please educate me or yeah, yeah. show me my blind spots. The mm. best mental model I've heard for that it was by a, a guy who's actually a preacher here in the Atlanta area where I live. His name's Andy Stanley, and he talks about the difference between certainty and clarity. 
Certainty is I know what's going to happen at what time and everything's going to be great. As leaders, we like to think we have certainty, right? We like to think, you know, COVID hits, right? Uh, For us here in the U.S., it was second week of March, March the 13th. It was a Friday. Uh, and, and a bunch of leaders come out and say, by November, we're going to do whatever, you know, by this, we're going to have this event. You know, I, I, I speak at a lot yeah. of events and so the events got canceled and, but they were all moved. So it's like, oh, we can't do it in June. So we'll do it in September. And then it went from September yeah. to next June. And then it just went to like, we had no idea. And the reality of it is none of us ha- can hold a candle to certainty. Like we don't know what's going to happen. What we can do is be clear in the midst of uncertainty. And so clarity is saying, I don't know what's going to happen in six months, but I know that today, if we do X, Y, and Z, it's going to put us in the best position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so as leaders, it's our job to, to, uh, to create clarity all the time. It's our job to give certainty when it's there, but it rarely is. And so rather than uh, Brene Brown calls it peddling certainty, which is a scary, uh, a scary phrase, and, and she speaks very strongly against it. Rather than peddling certainty in uncertain times, we can give clarity on how we can act today. So that allows us to be vulnerable with what we don't know. It allows us to acknowledge what we don't know because we don't have to be certain about the future right? As a leader, I'm not certain about the future. And the the earlier I can say that, the earlier I can be humble in that and be honest about that, the earlier we can all embrace the fact that we don't know what's going to happen, but we do have a say in what we do about it. The the Create Capacity e-book, e-course, if I'm right. It's a book and course, yeah. And they can find it at capacityarchitect.com slash book. So um, this this e-course is supposed to ensure that you achieve greater success without the also yeah. that is associated to it. So um, when people sign up for that, they should have it at the back of their mind that, yeah, they're going to achieve greater success and um, they don't have to um, do so much hustle to achieve that right. greater success. That's right. What will yeah. happen is over the course of about six weeks, they'll get a, a short email with a, a three to five minute video. It's all it takes. And it'll give them uh, 25 of the best strategies that I know of uh, leading at scale. And, and to lead at scale doesn't mean that you have to work harder or longer or hustle more. It just needs, means that you need to adapt to the new rules in the game and work smarter. And so that's easy to say, but what does that mean? Well, I actually give very, very specific answers on how to do that. We cover everything from building a leadership team to creating an org chart that actually helps rather than hinders, uh, to helping your people work across departments and get out of their organizational silos, to creating yes. alignment around the organization's purpose, and, and also empowering people. Right, because really, at the end of the day, there is nothing as fulfilling as truly empowering your people to succeed. And then, you know, there are the obvious benefits of that as a leader. Like, if you've empowered your people to succeed, you will be a success. Mm-hmm. Where can we stay connected with you to get? Some, we talked about Instagram, which for sure will be in the show notes. Um, I know you are on LinkedIn also, but what's the best means of getting connected with you to get? You know consulting or coaching services from you? The best way is to to grab that book. It's the easiest one to remember. Uh, I've packed so Mm. much in there that you'll be able to get, you know, the vast majority. You don't need to hire me to to benefit from this. Like you don't need to hire me to learn how to run your organization at scale. I give you everything that I have and it actually comes with a free consultation as well. So I'll sit down with you for 30, 45 minutes and, and just look at your specific situation and say, okay, how can I help? What can we do? And it all comes as part of that. So, I, you know, there's lots of ways to connect with me. You search online and I'm, I'm everywhere. Uh, there's the first three pages of results. I think all of them are me. The, the only thing that makes it difficult is my dad has the same name as I do. So you might get to meet my oh. dad as well. He's a great guy. And I'm sure he'd love to hear from your, your uh, listeners as well. But, um, yes. you know, if, it, if I wasn't a junior, then I'd be the only Scott Ritzheimer out there and we'd, we, it would be a lot easier. But, yeah, there, eightfigurefocus.com is my main website. But really... Uh, that capacity uh, architect.com slash book will get your folks everything that they need to, to win.
Amazing. That's great. So, you know, I've, I've, from this episode already, I've been able to learn a lot of things from you, which I'm going to go back on and reflect on and, you know, I try to digest it again. But um, are there still other things you love to talk about, which I've not asked or we will not cover during the conversation? Yeah, no, this was great. Uh, I think that, you know, if I were to leave everybody with a, a remark, it would be to, to recognize the when, you know, and, mm. and also recognize that you don't have the whole picture. Alone takes a long time. And so find out who you can pair up with, partner with, learn from, lean on to help you succeed. Amazing. That's great. Thank you so much, Scott, for your time. I really appreciate everything I've been able to learn from you today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it, Toby. Thank you. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.